for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Mission Church is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. Now we hope you enjoy the message from our Sunday gathering. Hey, what's up, Mission Church? My name is Travis, and I serve as the pastor of preaching and theology here at Mission. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, check out the screen below. You can follow along there. Now, this morning, we're going to continue our teaching series through the Lord's Prayer that we've called Pray Like Jesus. Over these last few weeks, we have been going verse by verse through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, learning from Jesus how you and I are to pray. We saw in week one that we are to pray to God as Father. We saw last week that we are to pray for His kingdom and His will to come in our lives. And this week, we are going to see that we are to pray to God for daily bread. Now, for you and me to ask God for daily bread is an emphatic declaration that you and I are not self-sufficient, autonomous human beings. But rather, we are always dependent upon others, upon God throughout the various stages and ages of our lives. Many of us know that when children come into this world, they are not self-sufficient. Kids need their parents to care for them, right? To feed them, to clothe them, to clean them up. Not a single one of my children, when they were a baby, looked at my wife late into the evening when they were hungry and said, Hey, Mom, just sit this one out. I got this taken care of. I'll just feed myself. But rather, what did my kids do? They all just cried out. And that cry was in a declaration that I need you. As they get older, sure, they're able to take care of their needs. But they still need people. They are still dependent upon others to teach them to read and to write and to drive. And here in a few weeks, I'm going to embark on the journey of teaching my 16-year-old on how to drive. But even as we become adults, we are still dependent. Think about your job and your profession. How did you learn to do what it is that you do? You've relied upon somebody else to show you. And as we progress in our job, some of us have to take tests, right? Compliance tests in order to stay current with the changes in our professions. And how do we know about those compliance tests? Somebody tells us. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who's gone to the great philosopher YouTube to figure out how to change bearings on a Dodge Durango or to figure out how to put a sink in my house or change a broken button on a microwave. But even as we get older in years... Friends, we are still dependent. We need people to take us to the store, drive us around, help us get up out of the chair. I even have a a family member that I love dearly, that as he got older in his life, I looked at him, I said, you and I, we come into this world need to be changed, and we are going to leave this world needing to be changed. He looked at me and he said, that is true, guy. Each and every one of us come into this world needing to be cared for. And each and every one of us are going to leave this world needing to be cared for. At no point in our lives are we entirely self-sufficient and autonomous. We're not, we are always dependent throughout the ages and stages of this life. And as we walk through this section of the Lord's Prayer, we are going to slow down and we are going to take it really slow. Why is that? It's because this portion of the prayer does not alleviate our dependence but rather it pushes us into it deeper. So look with me in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Here's what we read. Give. Okay, let's stop right there. 
I know some of you right now, you're a little panicked. You're thinking, we're going to be here all day. I promise you'll get to dinner. I, I promise. But I want us to slow down here and think about what is going on. In the first two weeks of this study, we saw that this prayer was essentially, God, Father, change me. We read in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 10 this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that word father again. What emotions or thoughts come into our minds? So many of us tend to project the wounds of our earthly fathers upon our heavenly father. But how would your perception of your heavenly father change if you flip the script? And rather than projecting the wounds of your earthly father upon your heavenly father, what if you evaluated your earthly father through the lens of your perfect heavenly father? who always loves his children and does right by his children. You see, we saw in week one of this prayer that our God is not a missing father. He is not a ghosting father. He's not a passive father. He's not a domineering father, and he's not even just a good father. But what is God? He is a perfect father, always doing right by his children. You see, the scriptures speak much of the Father's generosity. And right here, we saw that our Father that we pray to is a Father that what? Gives. The Apostle Paul in Acts 17, 25 says it like this, Neither is he, that is God, served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath in all things. What does Paul say that God gives us? Are you alive right now? God says you're welcome. Are you breathing right now? God says you are welcome. Are you able to do anything right now? God says you are welcome. Think about this. We oftentimes boast in our creations and in our accomplishments. But what you and I have to do is to slow down and think about why we are boasting. My father, when I was in college and high school, built a beautiful log cabin home. I mean, he did an amazing job. It was a beautiful residence. Now, my dad put in a lot of effort building that home, but did my father create that wood? No. Who did? God did. Our father did. The prophet Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 8 says something absolutely amazing. It is so helpful. Listen to what he says. You may say to yourself, my power, my own ability have gained this wealth for me, but remember that the Lord your God, circle this, gives you the power to gain wealth. In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your ancestors as it is today. What does God give? He gives us the power and the grace to do anything. Mission, the truth of God being a father of all those who trust in Jesus completely saturates every aspect of this prayer. We pray, our Father in heaven, bring honor to your name. Make your kingdom come and your will be done in my life. And now we are praying, Father, give. Think about the progression of this prayer. We pray for our Father to honor His name. We pray for our Father to bring His kingdom and will to, into our lives. And now we request that He gives us what? I would argue that we request God to give us that which will continue to bring honor to His name and that which will continue to point to His kingdom and His will in our lives and in our world. One of my favorite preachers by the name of Tony Evans says it like this, Once we align ourselves with God's program, that's where our requests come in. Think about what you ask God to give you. 
Does it acknowledge your dependence upon him? Does it bring honor to his name? Does it point to his kingdom? Or does it take you away from him and his kingdom? The other night at our house church, we were talking about God sometimes answering our prayer requests with a no. no. And why does he do that? Because he's a killjoy and because he's mean? Not at all. I shared this analogy with them, and you might have heard me use this before. But let's say I'm at a coffee shop, and I strike up a conversation with another woman in that coffee shop. As we sit down and talk, we make plans to go out to dinner later this week. I come home from that meeting, and I look at my wife, and I say, Jess, you know I love you. You know I adore you. But I got into this conversation with this woman, and we got plans to go out to dinner later this week. If you love me, you will give me that chance, right? You will give me that opportunity to go. What do you think my wife would do? She would punch me in the stomach. Why is that? Because she hates me? No, because she loves me. She doesn't want anything to come into my life that would take me away from her. And how often do you and I ask our father for things that would take us away from him? How often do you and I ask our father to give us things that would push us away from him and his kingdom? No loving father would give their child the keys to their truck so that they could take it around the block when they're three years old. No loving father would give their three-year-old child a fork to stick into a light socket. Jesus in Luke chapter 11 says it kind of like this, What father amongst you, if his child asked for bread, would give him a snake? Or what father amongst you, if your child asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? Yet if you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your child, how much more so will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So often when I pray and I ask God for requests, ask God to give me things, I will add on to that prayer, so that. The so that qualifies that prayer. It helps me to see the purpose behind that request. When I was 16 years of age, I vividly remember praying for God to give me a 66 Mustang. Now, why do you think I prayed for God to give me a 66 Mustang? So that honor would come to his name? So that his kingdom would advance? Absolutely not. I asked God for a 66 Mustang to honor my name and to advance my kingdom, right? Yet as our family began to grow and more kids were coming into our family by God's grace, And as the church my wife and I were a part of was growing, I remember us praying for God to expand our house, to give us a bigger house, so that what? We could provide a place for our kids, but so that we could host people in the church, in our home, and continue to share with them about Jesus. In 1 John 5.14, the Apostle John says this, This is the confidence we have before Him. If we ask of Him anything, If we ask him anything according to his will, he will hear us. Do you see the difference? That we ask God for things according to his will, not our will. We ask God for things that will honor his name, not us. We ask God for things that will advance his kingdom, not ours. And our Father is so generous because he knows what we need before we even ask. But notice the second word in this prayer. We don't pray, God, give me. Rather, we pray something else. Look at Matthew 6, 11b. It says this, give us. 
many of us to expect, expect Jesus to instruct us to give me. Yet what does Jesus say? No, pray, give us. And who is the us? It's other Christians. You see, God is not just your father. God is the father of all of those who trust in Jesus. God is your father. Jesus, the scriptures speak of, is your older brother. And other Christians are what? Other Christians are your brothers and sisters in the family of God. In my home, I have three children. Now, I have a personal relationship with each one of those children, and each one of those children have a personal relationship with me. Yet, how ridiculous would it be for one of those children to go up to another one, their brother or sister, and say, that's not your dad. That's my dad. That's not your dad. We would look at them like they are absolutely crazy. Yet Jesus in this prayer does not say, pray to my father as if it's just your father and my father, but rather, what does he say? Pray to our father in heaven. And think about the good news this is for many of us in this room. Think about the good news that it is for many of us who are tuning in right now. In the ancient world, children had no rights. And oftentimes their quality of life was determined upon the character of their father. And if their father didn't want them, or if there maybe was a disability in that child, that father could abuse that child, beat that child, and sell that child into slavery. The only hope for that child was for a good, loving, and powerful father to come into that, that place and to adopt them into their family. And what Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, verse 44, and what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, they say of non-believers that they are of and walking in the footsteps of their father, the devil. And I know as you hear that, some of you get upset. But you need to understand something. I'm like a mailman delivering the letter. I didn't write it. And what does Jesus and Paul say? That all of those who aren't trusting in Jesus, all of those who are not following their Father God, Heavenly Father God, are following their father, the devil. And think about what type of father the devil is. He is an abusive father, beating down his children, not building them up. Yet the moment we become Christians, we have God as our Father who spiritually adopts you into His family called the church. And the moment you trust in Jesus, God becomes your Father, Jesus becomes your big brother, and other Christians become your siblings. Imagine with me a child who's in an orphanage. They are there. They are rejected. They are forgotten. They are unwanted. And then one day, a powerful, loving, gracious man walks up to that child and says, I want you. You are going to come into my family. With that, that father adopts that child, takes him home. And what does he do? He introduces him to other children that he has adopted who are now that child's siblings. That is what God has done. He has become your father and given you the right to be his child, and given you a family to belong to called the church. In this prayer, we ask God to give, but we don't ask God to give to me, myself, and I. We pray for each other. Why? God wants us to be connected to him, but he also wants us to be connected to his family. We pray for ourselves, but we also pray for our other brothers and sisters in Christ. 
many of us who are tuning in right now online and many of those of us who are, are uh, just basically watching from some other means, what you got to hear me, just hear me. God is building a family. There is no such thing as a Christian who is connected to God as their father, but is not also connected to God's family. There are no such there is no such thing as a churchless Christian in the Bible. We are not self-sufficient autonomous Christians. And self-sufficient autonomous Christians need to hear this that God is building a family called the church. And though it is not perfect, friend, hear me clearly, it is worth belonging to. In the scriptures, there are 59 one another passages. We are to love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, but we are also to pray for one another. And we don't just pray for our own biological family's budget. We pray for each other in the church. I love and cherish my children. And I love when my children come up to me. I love when they talk to me. I love when they hug me. And I love when they ask me for things. And my children come up to me and they ask me for things because they know that I'm their father and that I want to give them things that will bless them because I love them and adore them. Yet you know what I love more than hearing my children just come up to me and ask me for things? I love hearing my children come up to me and ask me to help out their brother and sister. You know what is interesting is that at night when my children are praying, praying at the dinner table or praying in their bed, very rarely do they pray for themselves. Who do they oftentimes pray for? Their brother and sister. They pray for people in our extended family and they pray for many of you who are part of Mission Church. You see, my kids come to me and I am sinful and finite, yet God is perfect and loving. We go to Him with our requests but we also go to Him with the request of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we go to God and we bring our requests before Him, we do not ask for our greeds. Rather, we ask God for our needs. Look at the rest of this verse, Matthew 6, 11. Today, our daily bread. What do we ask God to do? God, give us today our daily bread. Jesus is not saying you and I pray to the great slot machine in the sky and just ask him for anything. We could go to God and say, hey, God, give me a Tesla, but I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to be selfish. Give my other brothers and sisters in Christ a Tesla too. That is not what Jesus is saying here. Bread in the ancient world was a necessity. And when we pray asking for bread, we are asking for our necessities. We are not praying for dessert. Think of the Israelite people. 400 years in slavery in Egypt, and God brings them out by His power and His grace. He takes them out into the desert, into the wilderness, to where He provides for them and protects them. He looks at His people and He says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you this substance, this bread-like substance called manna. And each and every day, I want you to go and I want you to pick up enough for that day. But don't pick up for the next day, just pick up enough for that day. And what do some of the people do? They go out there and they pick up enough for that day, but they also pick up and store up some for the next day. They look at God and say, God, you're great, but we want to make sure there's going to be bread for tomorrow. And what does God say to them? There will be bread tomorrow because by my word, I've told you there will be bread tomorrow. 
And what do the Israelite people say? God, your word is great, but we want to make sure there's bread there. And so we're going to trust in our efforts and in our might to ensure that it's there. And when they stored too much, not enough just for one day, but for the next day, when they went to that bread for the next day and they opened it up, what was it filled with? It was filled with worms. They wanted to be self-sufficient, autonomous. They wanted to store up bread, to know by their efforts that everything was going to be okay. Yet God tells them everything will be okay because by his word, he has declared everything will be okay. It is so easy for us to try to insulate ourselves from daily dependence. We have refrigerators and we have freezers. We have 401ks and savings accounts. We have insurance policies. Now, these things aren't necessarily bad, but what many of us tend to do is put our ultimate hope in those things, thinking we are self-sufficient and we're autonomous. But friend, what you have to hear is that if your ultimate hope is in those things, it is like building your house on sand. A couple of weeks ago, we went across the street to Tule Springs to the fossil beds. It's right outside my front door across the street. It's a beautiful place. You can go over there and you can see canyons that appear to go on for miles. And on these canyons, you have these ledges that you can stand on and look down them, but you better make sure that the ledge in which you're standing on is secure because it is not stable. Oftentimes, if you put too much weight on a certain portion of that ledge, it'll fall out from underneath you. One moment, you could be standing there looking down the canyon thinking everything is beautiful, and then in the next moment, you could be sliding to the bottom of that canyon because what you were putting your weight on wasn't sufficient to hold your weight, and it ends up falling out. And I know of people, and I'm related to people, who have put their hope in their savings accounts and in their 401ks only to experience something outside of their control, taking it all away in an evening. There could be an economic situation or medical situation that quickly takes it away and quickly makes it disappear. You see, all of our coveting and all of our hoarding is rooted in the belief that God is unable to fulfill His word and to come through. It's basically saying that God cannot be trusted. A prayer that I read over these past few months that has made such an impact in my life is Proverbs 37 through 10. Listen to what it says. Two things I ask of you. Don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give, circle that, me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and still proclaiming the name of God. I remember praying that one time and somebody saying to me, man, that is an extremely dangerous prayer. But you know what I think is more dangerous than praying that? Not praying it. What is this prayer essentially saying? God, make me content with what I have. Make me content with what you give me, but make me ultimately satisfied in you. Make me content with my needs, but not my greeds. But make me treasure you above all things. You see, the proverb is saying there are traps for both poverty and riches. One is not better than the other. Each of them have their temptations. And our prayer for each other is for God to provide for our needs, not our greeds, and to make us content with what he provides and ultimately satisfied in him. But let us also understand that as we pray for this bread, 
it not only points us to the here and now, it also points us to the there and then. You see, when we pray for bread, we are praying for our physical needs, but I also think we are also praying for our spiritual needs. We're praying for physical bread and spiritual bread. Here's what I mean. Each and every time we take communion, we realize that the bread in which we are eating points us back to Jesus' body that was given for our sins. But it also points us forward to a day in which you and I will be seated around a table together in an eternal kingdom. And who will be at the head of that table? Jesus. And we will find ultimate joy in Him forever. A verse that is so powerful for so many Christians that I know is Hebrews 7.25. Listen to what it says. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to intercede for them. Who is the He in this text? It's Jesus. And what does Jesus always live to do? Pray for those He saves. That is to pray for you and for me who are trusting in Him. You see, somebody is always praying for you, Christian. And who is that? Jesus. That right now, He is seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for you. So let us, like Jesus, pray for one another. But let us also recognize that as we pray for our daily bread, and we find that our physical needs are being met, what that does is that shows us that you and I are also to pray for who? Others. And if we have daily bread and we see another brother or sister in Christ and they don't have daily bread, then what that should do is loosen up our hands to be generous and to provide for their needs as the family of God. What you have to understand is that the bread that you and I have, it all belongs to who anyway? God. And so therefore, we don't hoard it and cling on to it, but rather we have our hands open, being generous like God is generous, meeting the needs of others around us. And over this past year and a half, Mission, we have done that. You have been a generous church, and it is my prayer that we will continue to be a generous church as we pray for our daily bread and meet the needs and provide bread for those around us. It is not uncommon for somebody to text me and say, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. Do you need anything? Over this past year, as people have experienced unemployment, mission, you have stepped up and provided for their needs. I've heard of cars being given away. And who remembers the toilet paper shortage, right? People were just, I mean, that's a daily need, man. That's bread, toilet paper. And people were providing toilet paper. Hey, there's toilet paper at Smith's. They would tell somebody and they would go get it. People would drop off toilet paper at the, at the front of my house. I heard of other people in the church having toilet paper dropped off at the front of their house. You see, this prayer is not just for me, myself, and I. This prayer is for us. And so mission, let us be a church that realizes we are not self-sufficient, autonomous human beings. That we are completely dependent throughout the ages and stages of this life. Dependent upon God and also dependent upon one another. Give us this day our daily bread. I pray that for you. I pray that for me. And I pray that for our church as a whole. 
God, provide for our needs, not our greeds. Make us sufficient in you. Make us treasure you to find ultimate satisfaction in you, not the things of this world. And God, provide us with that which honors your name and points to your kingdom for your glory and our joy. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for this prayer. A prayer that just radically takes out any foundation that is faulty. God, we realize that we are completely dependent upon you for our life and breath and everything else. Even our ability, God, to attain wealth, to attain resources, is a grace of yours that you have given us in this life. And so, Father, we do want to pray more like Jesus, who right now is seated at your right hand, interceding on behalf of those he has saved. And I pray, Father, that we can pray for one another in our daily bread. God, we ask you to do all of this in our hearts and our lives for your glory, our joy, and the good of others. We pray us in your name. Amen.